That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. Today I'll be chatting with Erica Alexander, who I fell in love with when she starred in Living Single as Maxine. Since then, she's appeared in a number of things, including the Oscar-winning film Get Out. But today we talked about her new documentary, The Big Payback, which follows the campaign for reparations of descendants of slaves in the United States. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Full disclosure, I'm a fan of Erica Alexander. I just am. Like I said, Living Single is where that love started. But now it's fully cemented with her new documentary, The Big Payback. She co-directed the film with Whitney Dow, and it follows the movement for reparations for descendants of slaves in the United States. Specifically, it follows Robin Rue Simmons, a founder for the nonprofit First Repair, who successfully got reparations passed in Evanston, Illinois, the first time that happened anywhere in the United States. The film also follows the work of Texas Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, who is leading the effort in Congress to pass legislation to fund a study into reparations. Eric and I talked about the sometimes complicated conversations around reparations, why she feels it's important, and how we can go about getting it done. But first, I had to tell her about my love of living single. I it just, I love it. And yes, I asked her about a reunion. You have to stay tuned for the answer to that question because you're going to be riveted. It should be cash payment. I think what they're offering us is an insult. How do you determine who's supposed to get it? Yeah, I, I don't think reparations for something that happened 150 years ago is a good idea. HR 40 is, uh, we're pushing very hard. There's been a lot of debate and discussion about the bill. This is a proposal for reparations for the institution of slavery. Yes. The institution of slavery has never gone away. Convict leasing. The oppression of voting. Poll taxes and racist GI bills. 
H.R. 40 is, in fact, the response of the United States of America long overdue. I get this call from a dear friend. He said, man, you know, we got a bad sister in Evanston, and she's pushing the reparations question strong. Redress for the black community, for the nation. And so it was Alderman Simmons. You have become the visible face and the driving force of the Evanston Reparation Initiative. Some mornings I wake up and I feel like, wow, I'm a part of history. This is special. And then it's intimidating at the same time, because what if you don't get it right? The greatest hurdle is the political will to make it happen. And Alderman Simmons made it happen, gathering a lot of evidence, specifically implicating actions of the city. This program, as it is, is incomplete. I, I don't know why they would be given more status than any other group of people. People have been extremely nasty to me. You don't give them money and then tell them what they can do with it. You cannot pay my grandfather back. He's dead. Give us what we're due. I don't think it's gonna go too far, but anyway. I'm still not prepared to join an insurrection. I just want you to understand who we are. We in Evanston are leading the way to heal a nation. We don't want a piece of freedom. We want the whole package, and that's reparations. Erica Alexander, I have to tell you, and I, I told you this before I pressed record, but I'm just gonna say it again. I have been a big fan of yours for a very long time. I mean, living single, get out. Like I, living single, living, first off, living single. Like <laughs> that show quite literally changed me. The fact that I was this middle school, I think I was in grade school or middle school, I forget. And I would go in singing the theme song. And I will admit I was probably the only white kid walking in singing wow. the theme song. Yes, and yes, I love it. Oh, represent. I mean, it was oh that show. So we'll get to I have I do have a question about that show, but we'll there's something more important to talk about up top. You have produced, co-directed, created this wonderful documentary that is on such an important issue. It's called The Big Payback. It's also a podcast, correct? It is, yes, a companion piece. Yes. And it's about reparations and the need for reparations in the United States and looking at the movement to get reparations uh, for descendants of, of slaves here in the United States and the complicated conversation around reparations and how it's gonna happen and how it's all gonna work out. And what, and we really are, from what I see from your documentary, we really are in the middle of the movement where it's, it's slowly happening, the bits and pieces of it are happening. How does the big payback, the film, lay out where the movement is right now? Okay, so the big payback, the documentary, is about reparations, absolutely. By the way, thank you so much, H. Allen, for having me on, and I really appreciate the compliment about living single. Um, the documentary is directed by me and a white counterpart, a male co-director named Whitney Dow. We did do a companion piece, reparations podcast called The Big Payback in um, early 2021 with The Black Effect. But this film started in 2019, and we started auspiciously on Juneteenth filming at the hearings for the um, HR 40 with um, Congresswoman um, Sheila sure. Jackson Lee. Yeah. yeah, so this film in its place follows the historic stories of Sheila Jackson Lee, the Congresswoman, and Alderwoman Robin Ruth Simmons. Mm -hmm. um, 
They advance separate reparations initiatives for African-Americans. And um, at, at one parallel thread, we witnessed the Alderwoman Simmons. She's implementing the groundbreaking local bill in Evanston, Illinois. And that was the first tax-funded reparations bill in America. And Congresswoman Jackson Lee is leading the 30-year fight to pass the national study bill in Congress. And that's how they're part of this movement at this time. Mm, and it's so, I think, I mean, at least for me in watching it, it's so poignant that it's two black women who are out there pushing this fight, who are leading this movement in a lot of ways. And and I just, that just really stood out to me that that it's these two voices really doing it and and the role black women play in sort of getting things done. Absolutely. I'm there really part of, of visionaries that before them, uh, Callie House, who's tried to get a pension just after slavery and reconstruction failed. And uh, they jailed her for that. And then Queen Mother Moore, who put her back to and her soldier to it, to try to move it as well. And they're all a part of a movement that started just after slavery with Frederick Douglass, Du Bois, um, Queen Mother Moore, James Foreman, and Cobra, certainly Congresswoman, sorry, Congressman John Conyers. Mm -hmm. uh, they're all part of that, but a lot of them have been women. And um, I'm not surprised. It's just that we're not used to hearing about it. But now we're starting to see American history talked about in its fullness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and Representative John Conyers uh, was the first in Congress to introduce a bill for reparations. And I think. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm speaking from, I come from a middle-class sort of suburban family in Missouri, and there's a, there's a lot that we were not taught in history class about the history of reparations in this country and the movement for reparations, both for African-American descendants of slaves, but also that we've done forms of reparations in the past in the United States for Japanese Americans who were in internment camps, for getting money for uh, Holocaust survivors from other countries that, you know, had, had, had done the hordes of the Holocaust and so many other types of reparations. So why do you think that there is so much misunderstood about the need for reparations right now? Um, well, let me just tell you that when I started this journey, I mistook the reparations movement um, as just say a personal admission, certainly apology from the United States government to the descendants of slaves with the monetary proof toward the moral debt that would be toward me, people like me, fellow African-Americans who suffered, uh, their, their um, ancestors suffered from it and who suffer from the vestige of it now. But I'm very convinced that um, after having been educated by those who certainly committed experts um, that that's a very limited point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, the debt resides within the fabric of America. So if we say this is the America, the beautiful sea deciding sea, we have to look at the racism and the residual evil that resides within the DNA. So it is not just a conversation or it's the right thing to do. It's the government's debt to pay. And you're right, they have paid those debts um, in compensation and restitution to other communities and people who were wrong, like the Japanese and you mentioned yeah. Native American, even though we can talk about how they need more. And, and, and yet they do have um, some things, whether it's the reservation, the casinos, this and that, the treaties, all that. 
Yeah. But how is it that, that African-Americans are the only group that have never had an apology and never had any sort of restitution or compensation? Yeah. And it is mind-blowing because I think it burns at the core of what America is that we cannot even go forward until we start to do it. I think it's karmic that it must be done. And the just the numbers. I mean, there's I mean, I'm a person who loves sort of like numbers and facts and sort of the, what, what you can look at. And you look at the the impact that slavery and racism, but slavery specifically has had on the United States. And you look at the levels of incarceration of of, of black Americans in this country, redlining, the, the policy of redlining and what we were doing with housing loans and so many different, you know, numbers that that show oh, there is a disparity and it stems, it's easy to point the, the the connection between slavery and now and what's happening now and why there is such an imbalance in the numbers between incarceration rates, et cetera, et cetera. Then there's a whole list of things you could cite. And it's it's mind blowing to me that it's, it's, a, it's sort of a shocking statement to say that why someone would be asking, why even the question would be, or the conversation would be started about reparations. I mean, it's almost like, people are afraid to have the conversation about reparations, not even get it done, but have the actual conversation. Have you, have you found that? Yes, that's exactly it. Because HR 40 famously is just a study yeah. to look into reparations. It's not giving us reparations. It's just saying, let's look. And I asked Sheila Jackson Lee's office. She's got really great people working for her. I said, what is it? Why vote against the study? It seems like it's an easy thing to do. Yeah. And because you have the full power and weight of Congress to go anywhere you want. And suddenly if you start digging up things, you start going into vaults, you start saying we, we, we require these papers from banking institutions, financial, yeah. um, education institutions. It stirs up something that people don't want to see, but also can help be held accountable for. Mm -hmm. So there's a real reason to have the pushback because even looking into it means that there are that the rot has to come out and no one wants to be held. So I, I'm, I'm glad the study is there, but to me, it's sad that they won't even let that go forward. Yeah, it, that is surprising to me. It's very surprising. And one of the things that I, in watching your film that I thought about, and I was that really, that stood out to me that they wouldn't even want to process the study. They wouldn't even want to try to get just to even understand the issue. And you know, I'm 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 a gay American, and I one of the things that I recognized in 2004 when there was that whole movement to add uh, marriage or the to define marriage between a man and a woman on state constitutions, and that was like a big part of the 2004 election. And over the years between 2004 and when the Supreme Court legalized marriage and made marriage equality possible, it really was corporate America that was putting the money out there, saying doing inclusion writers and doing inclusion and having same-sex partner benefits and doing the work that the federal government probably should have been doing. And I wonder if there's any movement in the reparations movement that is getting these private companies to invest money into trying to look at this, to look at the possibility of reparations. Like what role, because I mean, you look at some of these banks and they also profited off of a lot of racist tropes over the years. And you look at, you look at a lot of these corporate companies that have benefited from inequality over the years. Is there ever, is there any conversation around the role of corporate America in reparations? There certainly is. Um, and it's a really great question to people who certainly more, know more about it than I do. Georgetown, which is an educational system, famously uh, uh, started to uh, pay some kind of reparations to um, the descendants 
who they held the, as slaves. Um, mm. They sold to save the university. Yeah. And then they put it to the students as to whether they should continue it. The students said, yes, you can take some of our, uh, it was a very small amount, some of our um, fee. Yeah. It, it tore, but then suddenly they backtracked and said, no, we don't want to do that. This is after they voted for it. Then yeah. the people inside the, 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 who run the university said they were going to do it a different way. And I said, well, see, this is weird. Even yeah. when the students say it's okay, that we will certainly help pay into this thing and, and, uh, and, and you can give it out to some of the, uh, the descendants, that they didn't allow it to go forward. So yeah. you can imagine how difficult it is for corporate America to, to have the conversation. But what's made it interesting right now is that we have uh, the example of the um, COVID-19 and George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, all that stuff, the insurrection, certainly um, five for 15, which you see all these people not coming back to work. Um, tipped wages is a vestige of slavery. Yeah. And we don't talk about that. Um, you see corporations having to deliver and sort of I think reckon mm. with what is their responsibility. Mm. And they've been, I think, trying to have those conversations, but I do think that they couldn't pay enough, frankly, America couldn't pay enough. And if corporations got together and really started to make some changes, it would be, a, a, it could help immediately. Mm. You know, they're, they, they can move fast. They don't have to have, you know, the grind of Congress and president's pen and all this other stuff yeah. i hope they do and some of them have been thinking about it i just believe that uh, the the financial people you need to talk to people like julian malvo those mm -hmm. people they would be able to tell you about that because i think it's a powerful conversation to have certainly a powerful uh thing to look into definitely and one of the things that i think i mean in my own opinion and like what really irks me is that like i can go to ancestry.com or any of those websites and put in my information and send off that like swab or whatever. And it's going to, I'm going to be able to see my ancestors for thousands of years, likely, or hundreds of years. I'm not good at that, but you know what I mean? I'm going to have a lot of ancestors to go back to dating back a very long time. And so many black Americans don't have that. It stops at 1850 likely. And it's, it's shocking to me that that we not even 1850 in some cases in the 20th century and it's shocking to me that that's a reality in america and it's the poll there was a poll that i saw that uh the oh, apnorc poll from 2019 that showed 79 percent of black americans support reparations 15 percent of white respondents said they they agreed with it which is a wild disparity and it, it as a white person it bothers me that like it's easy for me to recognize, oh, my success is based off the privilege that I've had as a white American. And I, I can recognize that and try to then be a part of the agent of change in this country. And I, I want to know, and I hate asking this because it's one of the things that I've always felt like the question of how do we fix racism is not a question for anyone of color. It is a question for white people because white people created racism. But why do you think there is such a disparity in the support for reparations and, and how do you think we can shape a conversation to try to bring that number of the white respondents maybe a little bit higher so that there's some understanding, there's some commonality that they can see a need for it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think there's a disparity because, and I blame white people for this, certainly. They didn't tell the truth to their children of mm. the Confederates. 
they allowed them to have a civil war and then reorient themselves back into a system and even put Jim Crow laws and all sorts of other things in to destabilize black people who were not just homeless, stateless um, for the next hundred years. Mm -hmm. And we are still fighting that because I think those insurrectionists still have that state of mind of Confederacy. You know, I call, you know, uh, they say they're the party of Lincoln, the Republicans, and they're the Confederate Republicans, as far as I'm concerned. We have not been able to properly educate children, um, not just black children, but the white children that needed the most Mm -hmm. on how America was built. And more importantly, why the Civil War was fought and why the South lost, because they instantly after Lincoln's assassination just took them all back in and they started to rebuild America on this rotten core. Mm -hmm. I think that's partly the problem. Um, The other problem is, is that it's a capitalist system and that capitalist system is built by white people and they don't want African-Americans free to not to own anything. So they did a very good job preventing the advancements or any implementation to anything to help them. We talk about um, the fact that they wouldn't fought in all those wars and didn't get the progress um, of the GI bills and all the things that they would for sacrificing their lives, their livelihood, their bodies toward it. Um, we're also dealing with the institutional Jim Crow laws, the white supremacy, all the terrorism, the lynching, the outright stealing of land. Just this past week, they gave back um, a beachfront in Los Angeles um, Jones yeah. Beach, yeah. family, but that's nothing compared to how much land was stolen from uh, black people. The biggest thing that was stolen from black people, the white people have, is their culture. They're the link to the culture. You're talking about the ancestry.com mm-hmm. and their names. We all have these Scottish and Irish names and British names. And um, it seems also normal to us until you meet somebody named Idris Elba, you know, or, you yeah. know, Daniel Kaluuya, these new names, and we're like, what's your name? We are the orphans of the world inside of this great diaspora who their name sounds foreign to us. Yeah. And um, we're and so we're dealing with all of that. So I think if you really think about the, the great advancement of black people, whatever that was destroyed. And that's why the great migration from the South uh, from the, into the North took place and trying to get out from the immoral white boot that targeted the destruction, oppression, and all the things toward inform- enslaved people, but then just took a different form in the North. Um, we've got a real problem and that there is a real reason why uh, white people don't want to look at that because it upsets their entire sense of themselves. Yeah. And yet it must happen for them to be the great American. Yeah. And also there's, I mean, I started in comedy and one of the things that I've always said is like, it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's sometimes okay to be uncomfortable and to have, cause that's to me, that's what comedy always starts from is, you know, that, that uncomfortable moment of misconnection and you try to form it in your brain and jokes come out and it's and for me it's the same with this conversation in a lot of ways that like it's okay to be uncomfortable in having this conversation because and and for everyone to understand that it can be uncomfortable even for you know white americans to be to be in a space where they can have these uncomfortable conversations but then also for black americans to understand that like 
there are some good people who want to have conversations, but it is uncomfortable. And in, and to have to be able to come together and have that. I remember when I was a kid, like I said, I'm from Missouri and I was a foreign exchange student. This was the first moment I realized that things were, excuse my French, but completely f-ed up. And and I I my, my, they, they took this group of because we did this thing where like I went over to Germany for a bit and then the German kids came over to the US for a bit and we went to Branson, Missouri and I love Dolly Parton, but ooh, this is awkward. The she owns this thing called Dixie Stampede, and it's a it's like a medieval knights type dinner theater show thing. You know what I mean? And the in essence of the show is the North and the South fight against each other in a, in a sort of a dinner theater type show. And it was so I didn't even question it because it was just sort of like what I saw in Missouri, and it was just sort of like something that I saw. I never, I never made any of the connections, even though I knew history, I never made any of the connections. And then it was the German kids who were all shocked that this was happening because to them, they were like, we would never do a Nazi reenactment of the Nazis fighting the America. Like, this is insane what you guys are doing. And it really woke me up to realizing, oh my God, like I said, this is up. And it's, that was for me, my first sort of like, opening to oh there's other stuff we need to be looking at i need to be having a different conversation about this i need to be talking to different people and doing different things and i think the big payback is that moment is a film that people should watch to be and listen to the podcast too which is a great accompaniment because i I listened to the other day driving back from san diego and it's 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 such a it's such a poignant film that i think will hopefully get people to realize oh my god like i said this is up and it's it's a it's a really great film, and you did a great job on it, Erica. I have to tell you that. I appreciate that, and you know, and, and a lot of real of the muscle goes to um, Whitney Dow and our team who really pushed through the COVID thing. It's very important that someone like you, H. Allen, had who has um, prominence and a voice, and more importantly, also you're um, so tuned into um, the culture um, in a in a in a way that's through humor and talking about it with an ease that 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 gets the word out and, and has a point of view about it. Because I believe that that's gonna make all the difference. It can't stay in where it's just institutionalized in these great halls and yeah. you know debating about it. It has to really seep into our DNA. And I think that's why I really love the idea that Juneteenth got passed and yeah. all the Republicans voted for it. They had no idea. It was like a jack in a box that, you know, pop goes the weasel, <laughs> all the uh, critical race theory that they want shows yeah. up yeah. in the form of a holiday that they're going to make movies about and shows yeah. and people will have to do thematic things and we'll have to rethink about it. Is it a day of service and what's it about? Because yeah. if they won't, teach, if they will not teach the children of any race, especially of the white race, the Aryan race that continues to hold power over so many people about the very sorted but complicated legacy of America, then we have to smuggle it in. Mm. And I think that's a great way to do it. And with people who understand the value of entertainment and and discussion like you, we can start to do those things. And then suddenly maybe we'll have a shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great conversation starter. And I think it's a conversation. We just need to have the conversation. Like, it's not like things are happening tomorrow, guys. Let's just talk about it. You know, like, it's okay to just talk about it and maybe pass like a little study that looks into like, oh, how can we do this? Is it even possible? How would we go about this? Like, 
it's it's just you know how many educators would just be itching at the opportunity to be on that study just to like do that work it's just it's such a it's it's an exciting thing that i i think is um i think is needed but i do have to ask you because I, I don't i don't want to keep you too long but like i said i love and i love i love living single it's just living single it, it just i'm a big fan of the golden girls and i always say that Living, living single is yeah. what the Golden Girls would be if it was like shot 20 years before the Golden Girls were that age. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the companion yeah. show to the Golden Girls. It really yeah. is. It really is. It really is. And I know that my character is Sophia. So I, yeah. I and that was my favorite character on there. And you know, I love Maude. Yeah, I, we love Golden Girls. It's just, it's. do you think that there will ever be a reunion of you guys on living sing. I, I just, I, it, I need, I need it personally in my life. If I had money, I would just pay y'all to do it. <laughs> do you think it would ever happen? I think that it may. So I'm the one who's the whole, the biggest holdout. I'll just be honest yeah. because my thing was, and I always try to look to see the future who I am now. So different from who I was then. Of course. I um, even, so Max would be different. Um, I always thought, frankly, the answer to that question is probably not in the way people think it could be. I, I, I think that um, it would be fun from a nostalgia point of view. Certainly we have, we want, would want it from the fans who we call family who made us, who sustained us all these years to have it. But I keep thinking about what could be made with all six of us with a different show. And we just start to change, we change personas or something and see what could happen with that remix and then a rematch. Yeah. I think that would be fun. That's all. Just as a performer, I'm saying that would be more interesting to me and more likely to happen. The, uh, the four of you, the four women, the, the four leads in that show were so emblematic of, as me, what I wanted as for friends in like when I grew up. You know what I mean? Like I imagine like, oh, these would be my friends when I grow up and, and have an adult life and actually understand how to make money. And it didn't manifest that way. I'll be honest. It didn't. But it's just, it's, I really hope something comes of it. And, and it's been such a joy speaking with you. I can't tell you enough how, how much I enjoy you and your work and where can people find more about you, but also more importantly, where can people find the film? Sure. So we're working on getting a dis distribution partner with the film, The Big Payback. So stay tuned on that. We will be out there on a streaming and other platform. We will have a huge impact campaign, which actually already started. Hmm. Um, we did the Tribeca Film Festival that did the screenings and we launched there. But we also did a big screening at the Apollo. And we had over, over 350 people come on Juneteenth and a partnership with Ben and Jerry's. And, and that was fantastic. They gave out root beer floats for reparations. Oh. And been in, yeah, they have a really great commitment to not only climate change and all the systemic issues that happen um, inside of America, but to reparations and HR 40. They are one of the few companies that have come out to say that they support it. So we'll have that. You can go to Erica Alexander the Great on Instagram or E Alex um, the Great on Twitter. Um, to find out more. Color Farm Media is my company. Please sign up at www.colorfarmmedia.com. Join us and we will send out um, things about what we're doing in the impact space, but also about where it's going to land. And why is this important? Because we're gonna start some debates going across America doing Buckley Baldwin debates on reparations. 
that's our that's our goal is to start that you flip a coin and you might have the university and blah 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 you know pitchy uh you know I guess debating an HBCU, but HBCU would be against it and they'll be for it. We wow. can take the, that data and that analysis and give it to um, Congress and see what we can do to help the young people gain more of an understanding of it, but also to do something exciting and fun. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Erica. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. Also, check out the Reparations podcast which teaches you about reparations on the Black Effect, but you can find it on anywhere you listen to your podcast. And thank you so much, H. Allen, for this uh, opportunity. I'm so glad to meet you. We'll talk again about something else cool. Yes. Oh, my God. We have to. Maybe the In Living Calvary. No. (laughs) Maybe. What a force Erica is. And please, join me in begging for a living single reunion. I mean, I... I probably sing the theme song once a month. You know, we are single. Ooh, in a 90s kind of world. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'm stopping. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. If you liked what you just heard, please leave a little rating and review and consider sharing it on social media. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day.